welcome to the Eclectic Readers Podcast, where we read diversely. Surprise! I'm Jeanette. <laughs> I'm Tara. And I'm Meredith. <laughs> hey guys, how are you? So oh. good. <laughs> I love that opening. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, so, in real life stuff, my kitchen is completely destroyed. Uh-oh. It is demolished. No, in a good way. We're, I was going to say, this is on purpose, right? <laughs> it is totally on purpose. We are redoing it. But that means we are we are pretty much subjected to only be on the second floor of the house. Mm, so yeah. that's new. The good thing <laughs> is that means I have very limited access to an actual television. So oh. I have been reading a lot. Like Ooh. a lot, a lot. Like 11 books so far this year. A lot. That's nice. awesome. I know. That's like a huge shift for me. I'm very happy with it. I'm like loving it. Um, I've even started on those mandatory non-eclectic reader non-fictions, Mare. Ooh. I know. Um, I'm reading Big Magic um, by the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, that was on my TBR. Yeah, it's it's really cute. It's like really fun and it's very affirming and she is a very... Um, she reads it, by the way, too. So if you want to listen to it, which is what I'm doing, uh, it's really great. Um, but I think I'm done learning about writing for now because we're doing the Margaret Atwood class and I'm reading this. And I think after I'm done with this, I'm just going to sit down and actually get to work. Yeah. That's great. You know? That's a good idea. Yeah. Because you, you have could spend to just... all your time reading about writing and then not doing the thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, at, at a certain point, you just have to start. So, yeah. Well, that's exciting. And, um, well, speaking of writing, I guess, and learning about writing, um, I'm looking forward to Write on Con, which is an online writing conference the last weekend of February. And I did it last year, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, they have, you know, panels and some live Q&As, and then, like, some are more like blog posts and things. But it's all online, so wherever you are, you can log on and, and participate. So it's a that good way to really spend, cool. like, yeah, it's a good way to spend, like, a cold February weekend where I can just <laughs> hibernate with my laptop and take notes and learn things. Oh, I should look into that. I remember yeah. you really yeah. loving that last year. It was good, yeah. It was fun. And and what I do like, too, is they have different tiers. Like, they have one that's free where you can get a few of, like, the keynote speakers. And then there's, like, maybe a $10 one and a $20 one. But I do the $20 one because then I have access to everything for a month. So I don't feel like I have to do it all that weekend because there's so many things that overlap that all sound interesting. That I'm like, right. well, I've got a month. I can log in and, and do it on my own time. Do if it I when I want to. to. I wish yeah. all cons were like that, honestly. Right? It's, it's a good It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Because I've been having, like, the feeling, like, almost the opposite of Tara, where I've been, like, trying to do a lot of writing, and I'm like, I feel like I'm out of practice, and I feel like I need to maybe learn more about writing again, like, go back to learning about it, mm-hmm. get back into the practice. Because it's just, I start, and I get into a groove, and then I lose my groove. I think I've just got to... Jeanette's got to get her groove it. back. I do. I've got to get my groove back. <laughs> um, and in more ways than one, um, I've been like in this weird reading slump where it's not that I've stopped reading. I've been reading 
and I'm reading really great stuff, but I'm not actually enjoying the process of it. Like, you know, the oh. enjoying the words and seeing I, this stuff in my head. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it so feels it, like work instead of enjoyment. Yes. And it's been kind of a bummer. But then my daughter brings home uh, from school this random Dr. Seuss book. And it's this not one of the big ones like Cat in the Hat or anything. It's just a very random one that I had loved as a kid. And I completely forgot it even existed until I saw her holding the cover. And we sat down and read it. It was so delightful. We just laughed so much and it put so much joy back into reading just to share this book that I used to love with someone else. So that's Aww. my new favorite tip for getting over a reading Yay. slump. Share something you love with someone else. That's oh, a great like tip. That. That's yeah. a great one. It was so oh. much fun. And weirdly, after we did that the other day, like I blew through books like after that. So Sometimes you just need something that's going to open the gate for you. Yeah, right? you really do. So talking about blowing through books, um, <laughs> what are we all currently reading? Jeanette, you want to take this? Sure. Um, so I just finished When You Were Everything by Ashley Woodfolk, which is an arc I got thanks to NetGalley and Delacorte Press. And I heard about it because um, Ashley Woodfolk is one of the authors that's coming up to Nova Teen next month, which oh, I usually cool. go to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about a girl named Cleo who grows apart from her best friend, and then she has to deal with all the fallout of not being friends with her anymore. And when you have all these YAs that have like those like romance tropes or like girls got to save the world or whatever, it was just really nice to look at a book or to have a book that looked at the importance of friendship between two girls because it's so important when you're a teen girl. It and really it just, is. Yeah. It is. And it just hit me in the heart and. It's coming out on March 10th of this year for anyone else who needs just the extra feelings. <laughs> and then I, uh, of course, turned around and moved on to something completely different. Um, Beneath a Scarlet Sky by Mark Sullivan is a historical fiction novel based on the true story of Pino Lella. He was a real Italian teen whose parents pressured him to join the German army because they thought, like, it'll keep him safe if he just goes out and joins the army. Um, so he does okay. reluctantly. Interesting thought process, but well, sure. if they, they, they thought if he joined the army rather than got drafted, he would be able to pick where he served, which would keep him out of harm's way, uh, um, which is okay, what okay. kind of happened. Um, but he um, he ends up becoming a driver for one of the Nazi leaders in Italy, and he becomes a spy and spies on this Nazi leader and the people that he's meeting with for the Allies. Good Ooh. job, Pino. Yeah. Spy on Nazis. So, because he's really That's reluctant fun. to do this at first, and his parents are very insistent. And then when he starts doing it, it when he joins and he gets like chosen by this guy as his driver, um, the resistance is like, "You could help us," and he's like, "I could help you." So, it's got a little, you know, it's it's got a little bit of that like tall taleness to it because it's based so, mostly on this guy's memories. So it's like. You know, he did this and he did this and he saved the day this way. But um, <laughs> but it's really exciting. And a lot of the things that are in this book are actually true. Like they're actually things that happened to him. Yeah. So it's interesting. That's cool. Oh, very yeah. cool. What about you, Mayor? What are you reading? Uh, well, I just finished The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas on audiobook, which I highly recommend the audiobook. It was fantastic. Uh, but if you don't know what it's about, if you're one of the few people out there like me who hasn't <laughs> read it yet, 
it's uh, a book that uh, tackles kind of the Black Lives Matters uh, uh, kind of issue going on in America right now. And so you follow the main character, Star, and near the very beginning of the book, so it's not really a spoiler since that's kind of what the book's about, um, she <laughs> is in a car with one of her friends. They get pulled over for a traffic stop, and her her friend, who is a, a, a black boy, a teenager, is shot and killed by a white police officer. And so you're following that storyline, but then you're also following her life where she's kind of straddling two different worlds because she lives in what's kind of considered the ghetto, but she goes to like a prestigious white school about 45 mm-hmm. minutes away where she's her one of the family has people. money. Yeah. Well, they don't really have money. Oh, um, family. Have, oh, those families, the other yeah, families. Yeah. yeah like yeah, she's yeah. there Sorry. on like a scholarship. And her parents are just making it work. Um, she's dating a white boy that her dad doesn't know about, you know. Uh, so, like, you have different different facets of her life that you're following. And then also the, the struggle with her parents are, you know, her dad's like, I want us to stay in our neighborhood and help make it better. And then her mom's like, but kids are dying. Like, this is her second yeah. friend to die we need to get out of here, but then how do we still help bring other people yeah. up? So it was really, it was just, it was, a, it was a great book. And I'm glad that I finally can say that I've read it now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so what I'm currently reading is Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky by Kwame Mbalia. And it's really fun. It's a middle grade. Um, it's actually one of the Rick Riordan Presents books under his imprint. And I'm still pretty early on in the book, but Tristan has found himself falling into this other worldly place where our uh, American folktale characters, especially like the black folktales, like um, John Henry and Br'er Rabbit, are real and they're gods. And then I think it's also soon going to kind of be interweaved with traditional African folklore and uh, religion and things like that. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But so far, it's really fun. Yay. I love Angie Thomas. I follow her on Twitter, and she just – she's made me literally cry, like, talking about things, her and her family, uh, and just how sweet they are. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoy her general presence in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, her presence in the world is a delight. And I, yeah. I keep meaning to pick up her second book. And mm-hmm. I might have to bump it up. <laughs> oh, so, she's so great. Speaking of reading things that have been on everybody's list for years. And because <laughs> um, I'm definitely behind on like at least two years of reading at this point. I finally <laughs> read The Bells. Yay! I finally did it. And it was amazing. Like, I, like, literally, probably from paragraph two, I was like, in, so in. Yes! I'm in so hard on this world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's incredible. Um, Being, to be able to catch me that fast, um, I'm incredibly excited to read the second one. I can't wait. Um, recently, I also went to the UK and picked, and obviously uh, had to read Red, White, and Royal Blue as my companion book. Yeah, <laughs> someone from the US going to the UK. Um, with the exception, has anybody else read it other than me here? I yeah. have not. Okay, so with the exception of some very obvious 
WTF mistakes um, around royal or first family protocol, like titles and what people are called and how people... Anyway, with the exception of some of that stuff, um, it was utterly, utterly charming. Just so freaking charming. So cute. Um, (laughs) That's what what I've heard. I've heard it's like, it's fun and it's cute and I'm glad that you liked it too. It was, it's, a, it's a great little, yeah, it's a great little YA. <laughs> um, I wish she'd looked up English titles first. But that other does than that, seem like a weird thing to not get right when... Yeah. But, <laughs> like, I, I guess the biggest example is the fourth person in the th- down the line for the English throne is called the Prince of Wales. And I'm like, that's not accurate. Like, I, it's like so... The Prince of Wales is always the immediate heir. Prince yeah. of is huh. always the immediate heir. And th- it's the title of the fourth person down in this book. And I'm like, that's wildly inaccurate. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that's wildly inaccurate. Um, but other than that, um, it was really, really charming. Um, so we now know that you have feelings about royal titles, huh? You know, it's just <laughs> it right. me. I, I watch, like, The Crown and, yeah... I'm somewhat obsessed with English history, so maybe I care too much. I probably care too much. That's probably my problem. Um, but, you know, part of it is caring about getting things right, right? Like, we want to be able to say that we get things right. Um, exactly. Or that our books have gotten things right. Yeah, the books um, get true. things right. Yeah. And it is Black History Month in February in 2020. Um, and we want to talk about that. We want to talk about um, diversity in our reading, diversity in publishing. So I thought I'd start off this conversation with asking uh, for you guys, how hard is it to find authors for you from diverse backgrounds? I would say it's not as hard as it used to be. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I'm a bit more practiced at it now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think we also know the tools. Like, I think all three of us, for obvious reasons, hello podcast, we're pretty plugged in, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're pretty plugged into, like, book Twitter, as crazy as that sometimes is, and Goodreads, and we go to cons for this stuff, and, like, we're very involved, um, but when you were first starting, like before, imagine before the podcast, pre-podcast, right? what, uh, what did you do to find diverse background books before? I mean, yeah. honestly, it was like a matter of like really searching it out and listening to recommendations. And even then I don't think that it was quite as easy um, as, as it is now. Um, Yeah. Let's say it was it was heavily white, yeah, <laughs> pre podcast, yeah. But I think pre podcast was also pre me getting into the social media aspect of the book world, and and that's that's a big thing is getting getting points of view different than maybe your immediate friends or your immediate family, right? Yeah. Right true but even then like just looking at some of the books that i've been reading over the past couple years over the past couple years 
I've been following um, some different groups, especially in the YA community, since I end up, you know, reading a lot of YA, both for my personal enjoyment and for my students. Um, I've been looking a lot and finding more books from, for example, Latino authors. Mm-hmm. Growing up, it was hard to find that. I don't remember reading that many books, if any, um, as a kid with characters who came from similar backgrounds as I did. Right. And mm. I think it's a lot mm-hmm. easier nowadays to do that. And even then, even now, it's not easy. But. I, I, I was going to say, I find it difficult, actually, to find books about contemporary contemporary books with contemporary Jewish lead characters. I find that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really, really difficult. And I actually like looked it up. Like I was like, okay, there's websites for this, right? I can find something. And there's just not a huge amount of them. Um, I would like to give a shout out to, um, tell me how you really feel by Amina May Safi who one of her characters, Rachel, in that book, um, is a Latina Jew. And it's actually really, really good. Hmm. Um, But, like, that's where Judaism wasn't the point of the book. That's what I'm looking for, right? A Jewish Mm, character where Judaism is not the point of the book. Yes. Really hard. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's that's one of the things that makes it hard – Talking, I was talking the other day and I was saying that one of the things that I like about the books I've been reading with Latino authors and Latino characters is that I'm seeing a lot of more books where it's not about, you know, being a Latino. It's about right. this Latino kid having relationship issues or friend issues or balancing school and their parents' issues kind of thing. And that's really what I want in my books. Like, I want just more people in b- my books, just not necessarily more issues, like capital exactly. issues right. in my book. Because the book that we referenced last episode, um, The Resolutions, that one has four teens in it. And of the teens, like, there's one at least who doesn't even really speak Spanish that well, which was an experience for me as a kid. Like, I grew mm. up in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I didn't speak Spanish that well. And, like, just seeing somebody like, hey, you have the same experience where you would like to connect more with your culture, but you're having trouble just mastering the language. And right. it's like, this is amazing because, you know, people from everywhere have trouble with relationships. People with from everywhere have trouble with school. Like, it doesn't exactly. need to be a capital I issue. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I, I think this is what Tommy Adeyemi was saying. Uh, when I went to see her, was that there's tons of books about uh, and important books about black people that she could be reading, but none where she wanted to be the main character. Right. Like, because where yes, it wasn't, they're all issue books, right? They're, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're issue books. And where are the books where, you know, there's a Jewish wizard? I, I don't know. Where is it? <laughs> you know? um, just because Daniel Radcliffe is Jewish doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not um, the same. Not the same. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, there, I, I, I do find for me that there's just a lack of that mm-hmm. out there um, where there's not these, like you said, 
Jeanette issue books. Right. Um, no, and yeah, I want, not all World War II historical fiction right, about Jewish as a, people, right? As important as those are. <laughs> and it is important. I've read a lot of them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I think we can all agree that diversity in books, um, whether it's the stories that are being told or uh, within the publishing industry. So we're getting into a maybe another hashtag issue <laughs> in the book world. Um, yeah. It's very important, right? Um, inclusion of diversity in authors is really, really, really important. But we have a huge and I think a long path uh, to where out of the woods on that. But um, I think there's some really interesting statistics specifically around this about why maybe it's been such an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, Meredith, I'm going to give you credit for this. You did all the digging on this. So good job <laughs> with your research I like skills. facts and numbers. <laughs> skills. <Yeah. laughs> um, Lilo Books released its diversity baseline study, right? Um, where it looked at the publishing workforce. And there was some sort of, I would say, surprising numbers. Um, in 2019, they received 7,893 responses. So this is a pretty good, I think, um, cohort, right? Yeah. 153 companies participated, um, including all of the big five publishers, Right, and I think that's a big deal. That is a big deal. It included all of the big five publishers, uh, eight review journals, forty-seven trade publishers, thirty-five university presses, uh, sixty-three literary agencies, all around North America. Right. So this is again, I think, a very good cohort. So I think this is some really good numbers here. Mm-hmm. Um, the results: seventy-six percent white of the employers yeah. <laughs> uh, of the employees. Um, I'm not, I hate to say I'm not wildly surprised about this. Yeah. No, not even a little bit. But (laughs) here are the, here's the other number breakdown that I think is somewhat crazy. Um, 7% Asian, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, which, hey, that's pretty uh, representative of the population in the U.S. So Mm -hmm. that's actually like, of all of them, at least a little on track, (laughs) Um, (laughs) although still low, Um, 6%. Um, Hispanic or Latino or Mexican, 5% uh, Black or African American, 3%, only 3% biracial, which is yeah. nuts to me. Right. Um, <laughs> because I think the biracial population in the US is huge. Um, mm-hmm. So only 3%. And it's only growing. Yeah, that, that identified as biracial. 1% who identified as Native American um, and Middle East. Both of those comprised of less than 1%. Um, 97% identified as cis men or women, AKA they identified with their gender at birth. Um, and 81% identify themselves as straight or heterosexual. Um, 11% though, and, uh, reported that they had a disability in 2019 and that's a mix of things, right? Mental Mm -hmm. and physical and chronic. Um, that's a lot of numbers I just threw out you guys. But let's let's get into it. Um, what are some of the alarming things that just shout out to you from that? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like you guys are saying, I don't know if it's alarming. It's just kind of like, yeah, I guess publishing really is super white. 
and and pretty straight as well. Um, but it is. I feel like it's one of the one of the places where actually women are very well representative. It's just white women <laughs> because I think in that breakdown of the um, cisgender, it was seventy four percent were women. And then right. if, so if you say seventy four percent were women, and then overall seventy six percent were white, that also uh, filled this out. It's a lot of white women. <laughs> I wonder where they are in the power structure. But That's true. Is, mm-hmm. You know, it is good to see that there is a significant amount of white women, not white women, sorry, women in general, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not white women. Um, nothing wrong with being a white woman, but anyway, um, of women in general, because, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I think it's getting better, but book awards are very, you know, geared to a certain type of person. So I think the more women publishing, the more good women authors get published. And I don't think that's at all a bad thing. Yeah, um, but we really need to bump up the other stats. You no, know? I, yeah. I, you know, it's very misrepresentative of the population. The, the population yeah. in the United States. It's crazy. I mean And like you said, it's not surprising, but it was very disappointing to see the numbers for um particularly the you know, the black African-American populations, the Hispanic, Latino, Mexican populations, the Native Americans, Middle Eastern populations. Was, mm-hmm. Like, it's disappointing to see them so very low when we know that that's not even close not even to close. how they represent the population. And now yeah. you wonder, you hear all these stories about how hard it is for black authors and Hispanic authors to even get um, someone to read their book. And you wonder exactly. why. This is very obviously why. Right. Because um, I've, yeah. I've definitely seen stuff on Twitter um, where there's editors that have now become authors that are, you know, some sort of marginalized background where, like they said, it was always so frustrating sitting in the room where there'd be a book coming in and, you know, it was primarily white people saying, well, you know, I just don't really, I just don't really identify with this book or I don't really like see how this is going to be a, a, you know, a marketable book or whatever. And it's like, well, not all books are for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Not all and, books are your books. Well, and, you know, for this to be like, well, I just don't see who, like, you know, that conversation, who's going to buy that book? Like, there are lots of, there are lots of books out there along the same topic. I mean, there are a lot of books right now about, you know, the chosen one saving the world from a dystopian society. It's like, and yet we There's still keep publishing. Yeah. yeah, we still keep publishing more of those. Like, right? It's nobody is asking. Well, why are we publishing this when we already have five of them? Mm-hmm. And like nobody asks that question. It's like, so why not publish something right. different? Why not diversify and mm-hmm. try and catch a different audience? Like, and it's just more interesting. I like. I don't know. I want to read books that have people that are different than me and right. are in different situations. And I, I don't know. <laughs> right. And people, like I said, like different pe- people from different kinds of backgrounds can go through similar experiences within their own culture. Like you mm-hmm. can be from, you know, oh, a Latin wildly. American background and have that, ex- that um, experience of, you know, a breakup and you can be African-American and have an experience of a breakup. Like there's no reason why like you couldn't write, you couldn't feel that the story is relevant from either perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. But, the, but, the color of your skin tone doesn't make the experience less exactly. relevant to somebody. It, human, We are all human and we all have the same human experiences and emotions. The, the idea that a white person couldn't relate to a novel about a with a black um, main character is insane to me. Yeah, like I, I literally don't understand that thinking. Well, and it goes back to what we talked about last month. We talked about the universal consciousness. These some of these stories are universal, and there's a they reason are. for that. <laughs> yeah, and the ones and that I would say, especially for children's literature, it's important on both sides. Like you want children to be able to see themselves in books, and then you want other children to be able to see them too, and you know, and empathize and realize not everything's about you. <laughs> Right. right, because that's so hard for kids in general. And I think that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking, you know, reading about somebody else who may be different from you having a relevant experience, because that's how mm-hmm. you teach people to get along is you help them see their commonalities. Mm-hmm. And I and I think maybe because uh, Jeanette, you and Susan have kids and I see all the books you guys pick for your kids. I am seeing that at least you guys make a real effort to pull in diverse books for your kids. But, you know, I don't know how easy that is for you to find. When when looking at some of the stats, it's sort of crazy, like only 10% of all kids books have a black main character. Right? <laughs> yeah, only 5% are Latinx or Hispanic. Um, 7% are Asian. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, 50% is still white. Tw- and animals get more. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Animals. animals. Animals get more props than uh, uh, any of the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. Animals are cute and are relative to everybody. And everybody but... gets animal. Uh, everybody has animals. <laughs> like, great animals but are still... in all countries. <laughs> still, um, it's it's really crazy uh, to me. Um, how hard is it to find children's books that are diverse? For I mean, you? I think. I'm lucky. I live in a pretty diverse area of the country, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have a giant library system. Um, I think I mentioned last year, like, about a million people use our library system. That's and, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people. And the county itself, like I said, super diverse, so a lot of different cultures. And they make a point of stocking things from, like, different, you know, different cultural backgrounds that happen to be very... Um, well represented in our area so it's not as hard for me as it probably would be if I lived in a different area of the country I also happen to have you know good family and good friends who will send cute books when they see them Mm -hmm. and I make a point of asking every time it's you know my daughter's birthday or Christmas or whatever they're like you know what do you need I'm like I want more books in Spanish for Catherine so (laughs) you know people are really good about that but with if you compare the number of books, you know, that are bilingual or by a Latin American author to other, like, other um, books, like, you know, the classic, like, white guy books. Yeah, it's definitely a lot mm-hmm. harder to find. And yeah, b- before we kind of move on to some other things, I do think it's important to bring up that I think a lot of this also has to do with class. Right. Yes. Because the publishing industry is primarily in New York City. They have a lot of the entry level 
positions sometimes are unpaid or they're like twenty or thirty thousand dollars where like you cannot live on that in New York City. You have to have some some <laughs> you can't level live on that most places. It, well, but... yeah, exactly. You can't. <laughs> um, and then even for authors, they're not getting paid livable advances. And how many right. years do they put in before they even get a book deal? You know, so. I don't yeah. have the answers for everything, but I think a lot of it is about class, too. No, I mean, it's true. Yeah, going class. into publishing and going into books, um, for a lot of people, the reason why they don't do it is because uh, they have other more important important things they have to be worried about, right? Like, you're yeah. right. You can't live in New York and do, like, on 20K a year for five years waiting to get picked to see if you finally can go to be an associate editor, right? right. That's, that, that's, yeah. that's insane. Um, people who typically do that have money and have family money. Yeah. Um, so I do think that's a good point. Um, and probably the publishing industry needs to take a temperature check on that. Yeah. I know at least some literary agencies are doing it more where it's mo- you know mobile, where you can live where you live and do your job. And so I wonder how much of publishing, other than the literary agency side of things, will move towards that? Or if it's going to be like, no, you must be in New York City. <laughs> I feel like remote work now is the norm. Mm-hmm. So um, I get that the book world is slower than a lot of the world to move into <laughs> some new <laughs> things. Right. Uh, but come on, get with it, guys. Like, it's time. Yeah. Right? Um, and I do think we're seeing some people do what they can, right? Um, you brought up yeah. Rick Warden earlier, and I think he's a great example. Uh, for those of you do, who don't know who Rick Warden is, which um, that's fine, uh, but he did the Percy <laughs> Jackson books. Uh, so he's pretty famous. <laughs> um, he, did, he did the Percy Jackson books, uh, so made a ton of money off uh, the Greek gods and stuff like that. And he realized that... What he could do with some of his fame is basically help other stories, um, especially for young, uh, middle grade, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. and help them get published. And so Disney Books have given him an imprint, um, and his goal is just to be able to promote specifically a lot of fantasy uh, from other cultures and from diverse authors and and giving them a platform uh, to get their book published. Um, yeah. So I've read a lot, actually, of the Rick Warden Presents. Uh, I think they're all super cute and adorable right? and really <laughs> interesting and things I wouldn't have seen. I definitely didn't see when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, so I think it's been I, – I, I really do like the the imprint. Yeah, I think it was a great idea. Yeah. Didn't you read last year – one Tara because I remember you were going to read it and tell me about it it was like the storm chase yes or the, the storm, storm runner, runner. It's and the it was Mayan one the storm it's runner. so great yes it's so, like, so great yeah um, and that, easily some one, of the most beautiful covers I've ever seen on a book yeah just, they are they are it just looks so covers. gorgeous and I yeah no it's it's amazing it's actually really really good um it's sort of still that chosen one thing you're just but like from a different point of view, and uh, I love Mayan mythology. I've been obsessed. Yes, with We all Mayan love mythology our chosen ones. Since I was like <laughs> in middle grade, just there was no YA around it, right? I was reading like actual mythology books 
in borders sitting there in a right. big armchair yeah. as an 11 year old but again um, i was doing the same thing but again it was greek mythology it was Norse right. mythology so mm-hmm. uh, it's great to see different um other things coming out right yeah. so yeah oh my god read okay. the storm runner so great <laughs> yeah um another person who's been working on that is jason reynolds Jason yes. Reynolds was just uh, recently named the new national ambassador for young people's literature. So he'll be that in that role for the next two years. And if you don't know who Jason Reynolds is, you must be a new listener because I've been raving about him for like at least two years. <laughs> He's so <laughs> awesome. He is so awesome. And in his role... He's going to be visiting small towns across the U.S. to encourage students to embrace and share their own stories. And he's going to be partnering with StoryCorps to record those stories. And they will end up being stored at the Library of Congress. So he's going to be encouraging even more young people to step up and tell their stories, which I think is important because when we talk about um, obstacles to getting involved in the publisher world, I think a lot of kids, um, particularly when you talk about like different economic backgrounds, I think they're like kind of afraid of books and some of them like to tell stories and they like to write, but they hate books and they hate reading. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've seen as a teacher over and over and over again. And so getting kids to step up and be like, my story is important. I can tell my story. Right. I think it's going to be huge. And I'm so excited to see what he does with this. Because yeah. Jason Reynolds is the best. This is going to sound is. really he crazy, but I just best. feel like he gives the best hugs. <laughs> you know <laughs> he what just I mean? looks like he gives good hugs. <laughs> he does. Just, he just, he's such a warm human. Yeah. Um, he's such have you hugged Jason Reynolds? Speaker, too. I think like these kids are just going to be like, hanging on his every word. Yeah. And I love that he's from Washington, D.C., actually. And he is. He's I, I love that. This honestly, I think it's going to be more work on his part where he's not just sticking to big cities. He's like, right. I am going out to all of these small places where these kids probably don't get author visits, where they don't get to see these storytellers in person. And so I think that's a really great idea. Like I'm I said, super excited hugs. to see what he does. Um, no, he's. I I think it's such an amazing. It's it's such a work of passion too. Like. Mm-hmm. he's really, mm-hmm. I feel like, going above and beyond in this role. Um, you know, he can, you can tell he's so, so passionate about it. Um, I'm so excited to be able to listen to all these stories for years and years and that it's almost going to be a time capsule. It is, right? yeah. Like, we're in yeah. a very interesting time in our nation's history. And I, I think the youth have a very interesting, have a very interesting stories probably to tell and share. And this is going to end up being a, a time capsule you know mm-hmm. for future generations to look back on i think it's going to be very beautiful i do yeah all right so um i know we need to wrap this up guys it's been a great discussion but i want to ask uh one last question um how do you maintain diversity in your real life what are some tips and tricks that you can give our listeners who maybe want to branch out a little bit more And we've talked about them a little bit, but I do think, you know, recommending and seeking out recommendations has always been a big one for me. And like going to book events and festivals, a lot of the different books that I've read over the past couple of years um, from all the different backgrounds have been because I 
went to, you know, Novatine or somebody brought back something really amazing from Yalfest. So just, you know, looking, you have to do the work. You got to do a little digging. You do. You have to put in some work. And if you're not where you can access, you know, an event or something, the internet is your friend sometimes. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes Twitter is a trash fire, but sometimes <laughs> you, can, you can really find some good stuff. Um, between Twitter and, you know, we all, you know, or most of us here love Litzy, where you find, you can find people with different backgrounds that might be reading things that you wouldn't have found on your own. And I would say when you find stuff, pre-order it if you can. If it hasn't come out yet, if people Mm. are hyping it up, or if you find an author that you have liked their backlist and they've got something new coming out, pre-order because publishing, you know, they like to say it's about the art, but it's a business and they like to see the numbers. So definitely support them any way you can. Or if you can't afford to buy a book, ask your library to have it in stock. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, be curious. Yeah. Be curious. Um, Jeanette mentioned it's work, but it shouldn't be that hard, right? You hear an interesting news story and you're like, oh my God, I wonder if there's a book about that. There is. The law of the universe is, I guarantee you, there's probably a book about it out there. (laughs) So be curious. Find something that interests you and just just read it. Not Um, to mention, you know, thinking about like, my statement, I'm going to amend that statement. It was hard. It is less hard the more I do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Yeah. All right. Well, if you would like to see our show notes, which include articles to some of the um, different resources we've mentioned, we talked about um, the survey, we've talked about different authors' movements to help diversity in publishing, you can find all of that at eclecticreaders.fireside.fm slash 75. And you can also find us on the internet. You can find the podcast on Goodreads, Litzy, and Instagram at Eclectic Readers. On Twitter, we are at Eclectic Read Pod. And I promise you, our Twitter is not a trash fire. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us on all the social medias as well. Tara, where can people find you? You can find me on Goodreads and Twitter, and sometimes my Twitter is a trash fire. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> all under the same name, which is my name, Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. And Meredith? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Litzy, and Goodreads under Mayor the Book Gal, M-E-R-E-T-H-E-B-O-O-K-G-A-L. Awesome. And you can find me on Goodreads and Litzy at J-M-T-R-I-V-E-R-A. That's J-M-T Rivera. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette, D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. And if you'd like to subscribe to it in your favorite podcatcher, you will never, ever miss an episode, which is really important, especially because now there are two episodes per month. You'll see our episode later this month on March books one through three so we're reading all three graphic novels by john lewis at the end of this month uh, oh and don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcasts uh, thanks and happy reading happy, happy reading. reading bye